Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Meet the Author, where you can join in on insightful conversations with best-selling and award-winning indie-published authors. Your hosts today are Rob and Joan, who themselves are indie-published authors, book publicists, and paranormal investigators with Tampa Bay Spirits, based in Tampa Bay, Florida. Thanks for dropping by. And now, on with the show. Hi, I'm Rob. And I'm Joan. Welcome to our show. Whether you're watching this broadcast live or if you're listening to it on a podcast, we're really glad that you chose to tune into our show. We're happy to have you here. Yes, we are. And want to remind everybody about the Voice of Indie podcast on blogtalkradio.com with Beam Weeks and Gary G's right after this show. Uh, tune right in. Just hop right over. If you stay tuned to the end of this show, we, we run a little... Uh, about a minute long uh, ad that tells you exactly how to get over to that podcast. Um, so join them. They talk to authors and have a great, great show. I'm not sure who is going to be on because this is a pre-recorded show you're watching right now. Yeah. Let me say that again. This is a pre-recorded show. Yes. Welcome. <laughs> this is uh, episode 99. And um, this coming Saturday, we do have um, at 5.30 PM on episode rewind, it's Paul Hollis and George Dismukes, episode oh. 68. That'll be March 11th, next Saturday. So you won't want to miss that one. No, you you have to turn in, tune in to that one because yeah. if you haven't listened to it already, there's a lot of stuff revealed Both of those, <laughs> on that show. Both of our guests are a real hoot. Yes, they are. Didn't you say? Okay. Yes. Now, next Wednesday, 
I'll be happy to say, is our episode 100 celebration. And it, we're kind of combined it, and it's also we're a month into our second year now, but it's our two-year anniversary show as well. Uh, we have several guests coming on and um, giveaways, so you want to make sure you tune in. Yep. So swag we have swag Swag. we got lots of swag yeah <laughs> we may even try our new uh yeah our new uh yeah drawing yeah program that's right. kind of fun so i guess what we want to do now is introduce our our guest yeah. uh, our guest is a time traveler actually he's in the future <laughs> uh, it's actually tomorrow morning where he's at he's in australia and uh and we're really sorry that we had him get up so dang <laughs> yeah, early. It's really to do early our where show. he is. Um, so we're going to bring in uh, Mr. Paul Rushworth Brown. Without further ado, hello, Paul. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the show, Joan. Hi. You're, okay, and he is in Australia, so he has indicated um, his connection is not the best. So at times we're going to have some freezing and some voices not heard and, and questions voice repeated delayed. and voice delays, but we're going to do our best to overcome all that, aren't we, Paul? Yep. Australian yeah. NBN is not the best. Let me. Tell you. <laughs> Unfortunately, you just froze again. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> I said Australian NBN isn't the best. There you go. Let's, there are gremlins in the machine tonight, right. for sure, I, guys. I hope the government isn't listening. <laughs> that could be part of the problem. Yeah. We <laughs> need to boost them up there and say they're the best. <laughs> so, uh, Paul, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started writing? Yeah. Sure. So I was actually born in, in England. Uh, my father was born in, in uh, Yorkshire in England. And he came came out to Australia in the mid fifties as a 10, 10 pound pom. Um, without going into it too much, that was sort of like a, a scheme by the Australian government to get more um, people to to move to Australia. So they paid ten pounds, and um, they invited them over to Australia, got them a job, got them a place to live, and and etc. So he came out in the mid fifties. And I came out to see him in in um, in the early '80s, and he passed away about um, uh, oh, about ten years ago. And um, before he passed, um, I asked him, you know, about sort of like our roots and where we came from, what it was like in Yorkshire, England, all that type of thing. And he really didn't know that much. So after he passed, I spent about six months developing a family history and traced my family. Um, back to 1590 to a small town or small village in Yorkshire called Howarth. And I traced my furthest away ancestor back to 1590. And his That's name wonderful. was Thomas Rushworth. That's right? wonderful. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And all my ancestors lived in or about this village of Howarth, which you may know from um, the Bronte sisters of Withering Heights. They actually grew up there. And um, very, very small village. And uh, all my ancestors, ancestors had been living this since that time. And my great-grandfather was actually the first person to move away from Howarth down the road to Denham, which is about 10 minutes away, with his nine children. Wow. 
Uh, anyway, so um, I spent. About six developing this year, they knew where um, their roots came from. So, okay. And then, um, about, well, just a minute. Uh, we lost. We lost all of that. So you spent right. about. We heard up to where your grandfather, your great grandfather, moved away with his nine children, just ten miles away, and then we need to hear from there on. And then I uh, spent about six months developing a family history, and I wrote a four hundred page book. I only got 500, I only got to five copies printed, mainly for my children. Anyway, about two years later, I, you know, prior to that, uh, before the, uh, uh, the show started, you said you called me a time traveler. <laughs> because um, I, two years later, I thought to myself, this Thomas Rushworth, my great grandfather times 10. Who was he? What was his life like living on the moors of Yorkshire back in 1590 as a peasant or a copyholder? So I spent a year um, writing a fictionalized novel about um, using him as the main character. But it's not a family history, so to speak. It's more it's a it's a it's a um, uh, a romance, historical fiction, adventure. Um, it's tied in with the gunpowder plot that you may have heard of with Guy Fawkes and that type of thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I basically fictionalised this this uh, this life and this family with all these things that were happening in, in England at the time. And that's basically how I how I got into it. And which which book was that, Paul? That that was Skullduggery. That um, was my latest novel, Red Winter Journey. Is actually sort of like the uh, the continuation. Okay. Um, or the, and that takes place in the uh, in the time of the English Civil War back in 1642. And, okay. Um, so Skull This is the one that you were talking about that goes all the way back to 1590. 1590. Yeah. Wow. But this is the fictionalized. Yeah version yeah. yeah yeah so it's yeah. so it's not a yeah it's, it's, it's definitely not a, uh, a family history even though i've used the, some of the names of my ancestors um i suppose m much like um uh braveheart if you've seen that movie yeah so basically what i've done is use use the, the names of my ancestors but built a fictionalized story um that includes romance and adventure and um and uh and that around those names and I it is very, 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 very descriptive. I love historical fiction because if you read historical fiction, you learn about that history in a much more pleasant way than someone making you memorize dates and battles oh, and yeah. things like that. I yeah. mean, that's and wonderful. It, 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 the amazing thing about it is that, um, you know, all the, it's almost like another world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But that, but, but the, this world actually existed. Yeah. And these people that I'm writing about, you know, are my ancestors and, and possibly yours. Yeah. Yeah, possibly. That's, that's interesting. That is, that's really, that's, that's amazing. And so then the next book is this one, Red Winter Journey. And 
when does that take place? So that takes place in uh, 1642, and it takes place takes place in the time of the English Civil War, but it's not a war book. It's more about a story of a father's love for his son. That's wonderful. Does it and follow the same people, the same family? Is it the yeah, same family 100 years? The next years generation. Ago? The next generation. Ah, that's, cool. that's great. I think that's and, more uh, time frame that I'm used to, the 1600s, but the 1500s, even though it's 1590, I'm kind of like, all right, I'm... I'm a little lost, so I would really like to read that. Yeah, well, there's very, very few books written um, in, that, in that time frame. And uh, 1590, that used to like going back to the feudal system. Right. Lords and ladies and, and uh, uh, peasants working on land owned by the, the Lord of the Manor. And all that type of thing is taking place. And people are living in... in wow. I think we're frozen. No, small, you know, living yeah. in a cottage with. Sorry, so all, all this type of thing takes takes place um, on the moors of Yorkshire, where people uh, under the feudal system are tenanting land owned by the lord of the manor, and they're actually living in cottages, you know, and their animals are brought into the cottage late at night. Wow, and that um, was the obviously, life. Yeah, and there's no obviously no running water. There's um, skullduggery and shenanigans and 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 my ancestors were a real rough lot they were rough you know they were hardy they um they worked hard they played hard um and um you know talking about time travel you know for me writing skullduggery and red winter journey it was like me stepping back in time to do the research right right but all of our ancestors at that time lived rough i don't imagine yeah. many of us had ancestors as Lord of the Manor. <laughs> well, through my research, 85% of our ancestors in uh -huh. in the Western world were peasants. Yep. Well, of course. So <laughs> the story is about so like real people. Right. Hmm. I always say I you can tell from my body structure that I come from good Irish peasant stock. I was built yep. to work out in the field. <laughs> yeah have babies out in the field while I'm working. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's and, that's cool. Yeah. You know, they had to like t you know like a 10 acre they tenanted a 10 acre uh, plot of land from um from from I actually found a, a manor roll, a manor court roll. Um and my my great grandfather times 10, his name was actually on that manor roll. Wow. Wow. And he, because I wrote away to Keithley Library, and um, he was a he, he was something called a copy holder, right? Which is basically in, under the feudal system was which was basically a peasant farmer that had to, that had to tend ten acres of land um, for Lord Burkhead, and in in return, he would have to work three days out of the week on Lord Burkhead's land. Okay. <laughs> For free, basically, to sort of like um, so that he could have that ten acres. All right, so that was his hmm. payment was working on yeah. the Lord's three acres. No, no. So um, he had ten acres. Yeah. But the Lord had, you know, maybe a hundred acres, 
You're and right. he would have to spend three days. Oh, three working. days working on his. I gotcha. Yeah, three days. I can't imagine it was easy labor either. No, nah, no. Nah. Tough times. Tough really? weather. I mean, I, I, I went to, I actually know exactly where Thomas Rushworth, my great-grandfather times 10 where he actually lived and to do research i actually went over there a few years ago and we went in summer my wife and i claire went over there in summer and i'll tell you something i don't know how they survived literally freezing the wind in summer. was like a, a night come through beg your pardon wow in the summer yeah in the in summer, summer it was freezing yeah, yeah. wow that's yeah you have to be tough to survive that right yeah that's why they had nine kids yeah. <laughs> so some of them will survive to to go on yeah seriously i mean so yeah as i say it was like stepping back in time for me doing the research and it took um i mean originally i, I self-published the novel and then um shoreline publishing loved the idea of it and picked it up and um so they re-released it and um they're my publisher now i've got a, th a third novel coming out in uh november called dream of courage but um Red when Winter does Jedi, that take place that dream takes that, that's actually the next generation okay so uh, it's it, it goes away from the main family and it goes okay. away from it's i suppose it, it, it how, how can i say it? it's more spread out it takes place in the shambles in leeds um, and it's it's more a, uh, uh, an, I mean, around that time, there was, you know, there was high women, there was yeah. pirates, there was, yeah. um, and it, it, Dream of Courage is more about a novel about two brothers or sons, cousins of my great-grandfather that, that leave Howarth and go to Leeds, which, which is obviously a major city, to basically earn their fortune to get the family out of poverty. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, any Anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. But they, but they, they get tied up with the uh, with the wrong people. And once again, it's a love story. Um, I've got to be careful because I don't want to give any spoilers away. No spoilers. No. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a love story. Um, there's a lot of it takes place on on the sea. There's pirates. Uh, there's a uh, there's a very um, crude and uh, awful man by the name of uh, 
Jacob Wilding that I won't go into. Um, and once again, it's you know throats and and um, and thieves and, and all that type of thing. But um, one thing I'm really known for is the twists and turns in my novels. Good. Okay. That's- so. And I, and I and I love that. I love I love the twists and turns. I and, did uh, too. Yeah. The book I like. So. I they, they're the kind I like too. I want to know the and, twists um, and turns. <laughs> yeah, and it's a skullduggery is is basically a whodunit. Good. Okay. The first novel good. skullduggery is a whodunit. That Excellent. Sounds, sounds good. good. Yeah. Okay. I think we need to take our first break now, and when we sure. come back, uh, we've we still got a-, a lot ahead of us. We've got yeah. uh, Paul's going to read. Uh, uh, passage and also we're going to do our um, book giveaway and learn about uh, some more about uh, what Paul's up to here. Okay, so we need to have a word from our sponsors right now. Don't go away, folks. We'll be right back. They thought the siren was dead. In the novel Siren Song by author George Dismukes, James Harmon shot her twice. Several people saw her dead body sinking slowly into the abyss. But now, in Siren Song 2, evidence suggests that she may still be alive. She killed that boatload of people. It was her! And she's just getting started! Angie, that's impossible. The cold chill up my spine tells me it's not impossible. We've got to start all over again! And this time, do it right. Siren Song 2. The story continues. Available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and many other bookseller websites. Get your copy today. Mystery hovers in the Magnolia Bluff Public Library. It has nothing to do with the hundreds of suspense novels on its shelves. Caroline McCluskey is the librarian. She finds a crimson hat and a black and white poodle puppy. They belong to Esther Williams. Esther is missing. The police can't find her. Neither can the FBI. Esther's only hope is a ring of three women investigators who form the Round Table. The Round Table has already solved one mystery in town, but this time, a woman's life is at stake. The Doggone Diamond Dilemma is now available on Amazon. It's a murder scene. Like many others, except the prime suspect is a beautiful woman from Detective Ray Schiller's past. Ray is determined to help her, but at what cost? The killer threatens all Ray holds dear. He's given terms and a deadline he can't possibly meet.
Run Ray Run. Watch the past come back with a vengeance in Targeted. Don't miss a second. Order now. And we're back. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, now, Paul, I'm going to ask you some questions that I know our audience always wants to know. Okay, the first one is, <clears throat> are you a pantser? Do you understand that term? Do you have it in Australia? Pantser. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so do you do a full outline or do you just kind of go with the flow when you write? Oh, I, I don't plan anything. I just write. You're a pantser. <laughs> you fly by the seat of your pants. You fly by the yeah. seat of your pants and you write it. Yeah. Okay. And um, also, I, see. I know. Okay. I find is if... Yeah, we're. What I find is if I don't plan plan anything. Oh, sorry, Joan. Oh, I was just gonna say we're pantsers too. Well, we're kind of a hybrid. You have to do some planning, right? You have to. If if we don't keep going. track, you, no, you don't degree, keep yeah. track of who you're characters are you lose it along the way and you don't want to change their names in the middle of the book that's no, not no. a good thing so. never good never good <laughs> but um the the other thing i was gonna ask and oh yeah the other thing that i know that they are always interested in knowing is which are you more happy with being published or were you happier with being an indie author um <clears throat> i think um there's there's sort of like uh benefits to both i know i mean uh the, the number of indie authors um uh obviously is increasing um the, the number of uh, novelists and, and and books out there to read a uh a, a, a huge site i think sometimes <laughs> that makes it makes it uh, a little bit difficult because um because the market is is uh, is so huge um i think being a uh, historical fiction author um uh, I suppose um, the, the genre um, isn't as popular as, say, crime or fantasy these days. But um, you know what I tend to do is try to to mix a little bit of fantasy and a little bit of uh, romance and and crime and, and mystery and that into my historical novels. So it caters for for uh, people who like um, those genres. But um, being a published author. Um, yeah, look, I mean, it's uh, it's great. It's um, uh, it, you know, you've got to get your name out there, and um, it, it takes a long time, as you would know. It takes a long time yeah. to get your your name out there and to read, read a base, um, and uh, you know, that's probably taken me you know a good uh, five, well, probably about three years um, before my novels actually became popular enough to, for people to actually uh um purchase and and enjoy yeah it it takes a while and even as a published author you have to get out there yourself and you have to promote yourself and i think that's i think that's the most difficult thing for most authors when they first start <clears throat> writing is realizing how much self-promotion there really is you know uh, and self-promotion and, and marketing i mean really yep. Writing the novel is the easy part. That's right. That's right. It's the marketing hard. that kills you. Yeah. <laughs> it is yeah. hard. And a bottomless pit. The too. rewrites are hard. Yeah. <laughs> I know. We, um, my, 
our 10 year old, yeah, <clears throat> our 10 year old grandson is writing a book and you wouldn't believe his dialogue. It is amazing. I told him we're going to have to have him go over our dialogue and edit our books because he does it so well. That's <laughs> There's no he said, she said. It's always was shocked or asked questioningly. And I'm like, that is yeah, so good. Where, good. where are you getting that stuff? <laughs> but um, yeah, we told him, we said, all right, so because he asked us to edit his book, we said, all right, we're going to edit this and you're going to have to rewrite it. And we're going to do this more than once. And it doesn't mean your book is bad. It's just you have to keep working at it, you know, and you do. And then by the time you finish the book, you're sorry you ever started it. <laughs> well, when 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 um, when I first wrote Skullduggery um, and after Shoreline Publishing picked it up, I had a year between when I signed the contract with Shoreline Publishing and when they actually released Skullduggery. So I went right back through it and uh, basically didn't rewrite it. The story was um, pretty much the same, but originally I, I wanted I wanted the novel to be as authentic as possible. So there was a little bit of Yorkshire dialect in there. Oh. And when I, uh, when I went back through it in that year, you learn, I mean, as you would know, you learn so much as an author over, you know, over, over a period of sort of like three or four years, you learn yeah. so much. Yeah. You identify words that you, that you, that you um, use too much. Yeah. Um, obviously you want to, you want to li limit those hang ons and all that type of thing, but yeah. also um, I, I, I had a dialect in there because um, rereading it as a reader, I felt that there was too much yeah. and it would be too difficult for the, uh, for the wider um, international audience. Yeah. So now Skullduggery is actually being uh, translated into, into, into Russian. Cool. Cool. And into Hindi in India. For awesome. some reason, for some reason, um, uh, Indians just love English historical fiction. Um, Indians love to watch this uh, podcast. Really? <laughs> oh, no. oh yeah, yeah, yep. We have a large Indian um, audience. Like we said, oh. it's, we've got a worldwide audience, but we also did Russia until Ukraine started, and I think they're still blocking the uh, the internet. The flow, yeah. yeah. So, but we did have quite a few Russian listeners also but yeah. yeah it's amazing but that's great that they can read it in their own language you know and it's 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 um <clears throat> i've got a translator doing it but um and when she, when she's doing it it's quite interesting um she'll sort of like read the english version and translate it and yeah. some of the words old english words like and i've, I've actually got a glossary at the beginning of the novel um, because I like to, as I say, keep it as authentic as possible. But there'd be there'd be uh, words such as um, such as um, shiv, which is a knife, or um, <laughs> pottage, which is which is a, a, a meal that was very very popular back in the 16th century with peasants, and it was basically just a, a vegetable stew. So I've got I have to put a because I want to use those words. I have to put a glossary at the beginning of the book. So readers can actually go back and, and figure, look it up. find yeah. out. Yeah, that's interesting. And and, and it's interesting. Say, for instance, 
a cruck house, which is sort of like a very, very small cottage made of uh, wattle and, um, <laughs> and, and which is sort of like translated a cruck house was a tent. <laughs> I, said, I said, no, it's not a tent. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's like a bat, almost like a, a, a stick house made with clay. And she, oh, right. Okay. So she has to sort of like make all those types of changes. Yeah. In the translation. Not easy. I don't think. Well, let us bring up where people can find you when they want to get in touch with you. All right. So Paul's website is Paul Rushworth Brown Skullduggery Winter of And I am going to spell this this time, but next time you're gonna to have to you're listen. On your own. Yeah. <laughs> so that's long domain. Yeah. Well, Skullduggery and Winter of Red. Pay attention, folks. <laughs> All right, it's P-A-U-L-R-U-S-H-W-O-R-T-H. V-R-O-W-N-S-K-U-L-D-U-G-G-E-R-Y-W-I-N-T-E-R-O-F-R-E-D.com. So, in other words, it's his name, Paul Rushworth Brown, and then the name of both of the books that he has published right now, Skullduggery and Winter of Red. That's easy, people. Then there is Facebook is Paul Rushworth dash Brown author. Y'all know how to spell author. There's Twitter at Brown nine Paul. LinkedIn is Paul Rushworth dash Brown or hyphen. If you are used to hyphen instead of dash, just insert that Instagram Paul Brown. 630. And finally, the important one for those of you who want to enter the book giveaway is his email, paulbrown630 at gmail.com. I should say 630. It's actually yeah. 630, right. not an O. So don't please don't put in an O in his Instagram account or his email because it's actually a zero. I should make that clear. Okay. Let's go ahead and do the book giveaway. And, I agree. And then uh, maybe Paul can read his uh, passage. Yeah, that would uh, be great. Book giveaway. Everybody get ready and type uh, to this email for the first five people to email paulbrown630 at gmail.com will win an ebook copy of Red Winter Journey and Skullduggery. Both people, both. both. He's being really generous. Very generous, yes. And giving away five copies of both of them. So, so even if you're listening to this uh, audio uh, and you're not watching us live, uh, go ahead and, and send him the email. You uh, never know. Allbrown630 at gmail.com. There may be leftover copies that, that need to be uh, to find a home, and he'll be happy uh, to give them away, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes. So that people can read his book. Right. Can we enter? Oop, let's do it. <laughs> I'll send, you guys, I'll send you guys a copy. Uh, I'll be right uh, back. i got to go into them. No. <laughs> yeah. I, I really want to read these books. They sound really fascinating. They I love do. historical novels. Historical fiction. So would you like to read a <laughs> passage for us? Which book sure. are you going to read from? So I'm going to read uh, 
a passage from Red Winter Journey. Alrighty. Okay. Um, and I'll, I'll just read the back of the, uh, the the back of the book first, just to give um, sort of like a, an idea of what what the book's actually about. And um, as I say, it's, it, the book is even though it's set in the in the time of the English Civil War, it's, it's more about a, a love of a father for his son, and he has to go on a journey. All right. So it's a, a historic journey of twists and adventure with a dash of spirited passion. A tale of a peasant family caught in the ravages of the English Civil War in 1642. A young man, Tommy Rushworth, tries to stay alive after being conscripted into the parliamentary army and taken off to war. Thomas Rushworth Sr. is racing against time to save his son from imminent death in a war he wanted no part of. Back in Howarth, Tommy's mother despairs, awaiting news of the fate of her son and husband. Through the turmoil and suffering, William and Lucy develop their own love story and are tested to the limit by the persecution of the steward of the manor who conspires to sabotage their future. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The bloody hell of war and the saga of family tribulations drive this period, period drama with exceptional narrative and factual accuracy of the talented author who penned Skullduggery and is becoming one of Australia's established new authors. A dark and dramatic prose of family and war that brings a realism of history to the imagination with little effort. A great read. So um, I'm going to read a, 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 a few pages from Chapter 3, which is called Coming of Age. The king had introduced unfair taxes, and the end. You guys, I mean, you guys probably didn't learn anything about the English Civil War. Do you want me to give you a little bit of a background on just quickly about what the English Civil War was about? Sure, sure. Believe it or not, <clears throat> I mean, we did learn a lot of stuff about English, but go ahead and refresh everybody's mind. We've learned about okay, the so amazing. This was like such an important time in 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 not only uh, Western politics and social development, um, because basically what happened is King Charles I, who was actually beheaded. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's such an important time. I'm amazed that more movies and and books haven't been written about it. So anyway, King King Charles uh, wanted divine right. In other words, he wanted to run things, and the people of England. Um, didn't like that. So the so the parliament basically went against him. There was a war between King Charles and Parliament. And you may have heard of um, 
Cromwell. And he basically was, he was sort of like uh, the person leading the parliamentary army. And when King Charles was, when, when the parliament, parliamentary army won the war, England became a republic, believe it or not. And King Charles was beheaded. The monarchy was beheaded. And, King, and Cromwell actually became the leader of England for a number of years until... <clears throat> King Charles's son, was, was, who was in ex exile, was brought back to England. And then the mo monarchy was established again a few years later. All right? But this, this, the English Civil War, more people died in that English Civil War than both World War I and World War II put together. That's because they were all English. Well, I mean, a lot of them died from disease. The same with our civil war. More people died in our civil war because we were fighting each other. Yeah. Oh. So, so the chapter three is called Coming of Age. So the king had introduced unfair taxes and the anti-crown sentiment was beginning to grow all around the country. In the West, they hoped that they would be protected from the threat of coming hostilities due to their remoteness. Tommy had watched as many of the young men of the village packed up and left to join the army, at least fighting for Cromwell. They were guaranteed an income to send home to their families and put food in their bellies. Tommy, was con Tommy once considered joining them but wouldn't contemplate leaving his mother and father alone and destitute to the ravage of, ravages of the winter on the moors. Here you are, Tommy, said Isabella. She brought a much older Tommy Rushworth out of his thoughts by placing a bowl of pottage and dark bread on the table. Now a grown man, Tommy had the look of his father. Thick, dark brown eyes of brown hair peeped from under his brown felt cap. His reddish windburn wind face gave him the rugged look of a Yorkshireman. In the spring and summer, he worked the field from early morning to night, and his hands were rough and callous like roughly shorn timber. His skin had been aged slightly by hardship and the panine wind and summer rain. He wore a loose dark brown sleeveless jerkin over an open grey dirty tunic with dark brown hose and woolen foot covering strapped with leather that had spent far too much time in the mud. The sleeveless jerkin kept the draft and coldness from his back and a cloth hood dangled loosely, which when required shielded part of his face from the punishing icy wind. What were you in such deep thought about, husband? Isabel inquired as she sat down on, on the stool next to the fire. Isabel knew when her man was out of sorts and knew to leave him be when something was troubling him. He had a quiet strength, strength like his father, and, that, and the nut didn't fall far from the tree, she thought. He wasn't openly affectionate, but he was honest and good to her. He could always be trusted and didn't spend coin on whores or the dog fighting at the tavern like some in the village. It was only underneath the blanket at night that his whisperings became quiet and loving. Just thinking about times gone by, Tommy put his head close to the bowl. He spooned some pottage into his mouth, wiping the excess with the sleeve of his grey linen shirt, which poked out of his tunic. The wind howled outside like a wild beast, and a small line of snow blew under the, under the door and started to gather in a small mound. The shutters vibrated stubbornly, keeping the wind and snow outside. Still, a steady drip of water melted by the warmth of the fire dripped from the ledge beneath the shutter. What made you think of the past, Isabel asked, as she turned to stoke the fire, knowing not to press him too hard on the subject. Just thinking about Father and William and how, how they were when Nan Mar Marjorie passed. 
The cottage was poorly ventilated except for the shutters, which they couldn't open at night, and two slits in the wall in front of the animal stalls. Steam from the body heat of the cow and ox rose and dissipated among the three edibles, and the board grifted through old peelings and rotten cabbage leaves from the collection of autumn leftovers. Agnes heard her son's melancholy words as she eavesdropped eaves eaves from the animal quarters at the back corner of the cottage. She shoveled manure through the hole in the wall designed for the purpose and closed the hatch to keep the weather outside. Putting her hands together, she blew on them, then rubbed them together to get the circulation back. This draft will be the end of me, she grumbled to herself. I wonder when your father will be back, said Agnes, as she walked toward the fire to warm herself, lifting her kirtle, kirtle to warm her feet. Where's he gone, mother? Tommy asked curiously. Gone into the village with John Hargreaves to talk to the Reeve about something. About what? Tommy, you know he tells me now about his plans, goings, plans and goings on. Have you not learnt that yet? I, I have, knowing that he kept specific details from Isabel in the same way. Isabel walked over to the spinning wheel and sat down on the stool in front of it. She took some waste yarn around the bobbin, fed it through the flyer and tied it to a six-inch roving. She pumped the treadle and at the same time gently fed out the fibres by pulling lightly to keep it taut. In the winter, there wasn't much to do in, to do in the field, so their days were spent spinning yarn and, never, and a never-ending weaving of cloth. It was a tedious process and it took them almost a week to make one kersey which was then sold back to the clothier. Isabel turned to her husband curiously before walking to, to the hearth of the, of the fire to stir the pottage. And you, husband, is there any secrets that you, you should be telling me? Tommy stayed quiet as he didn't want to scare her with stories of what he had heard at the king's arms about what was coming and took another spoonful of pottage. Isabel knew not to push the subject as she teased more of the fleece. Agnes smiled at at his restraint, just like his father, she thought to herself, as she climbed up the ladder, being careful not to trip on the bottom of her kirtle. She climbed fled, flapping their wearer. Loose feathers rose and then floated slowly to the ground. Carefully climbing down, she separated the hay and threw it into the trough in front of the animals. A rickety old worn-out structure with vertical wooden strips of timber denied full access to separate the hay so that each had their own portion. She walked out of the animal enclosure and over to the fire. Isabel, you take a load off. I'll do that. You need to rest and so does your baby. Baby's fine, Agnes, kicking like a young lamb, she said as she placed her hands under the bolt and straightened, grimacing from the dull ache in her lower back. She sat down at the table, you just tell me when you want me, want me to stop. <laughs> okay. Just finish that and then we can take a break. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. You can just finish what you're reading there and then it'll be time to take our, our break. But sure. yeah, go ahead. She yeah. sat she sat down at the table opposite Tommy while Agnes placed a bowl in front of her and Lucy, who was almost six months pregnant. I put some extra meat in the pottage for the baby, said Agnes. Oh, there's no need. Spring is still a long way off and we need to make it last. Never you mind that. If you run out, Thomas will just have to butcher another pig. Baby, baby needs to be strong and healthy. Isabel was pretty. Dark hair drops to just above her eyebrows with a fringe. 
She had kind, dark eyes which sparkled with light from the fire. The continual rosiness of the cheeks gave her a healthy glow. Her blue kirtle and tan partlet had a plunging neckline which joined with the open-fronted uh, gown, which was laced across her chest with a leather cord. The shapeless sleeves were attached to the dress with string stitches at the top of the shoulder. A fawn linen apron, dirtied and stained, ballooned out from her lower abdomen and dropped to the floor. Tommy looked at Isabel as she sat down at the table and smiled. She was a good woman, Tommy thought to herself, and had settled into life at the cottage well. She worked hard and did her share of the cooking, mending and spinning. It had been some years since they had met in Stanbury, and even though they only saw each other for a couple of hours in the evening in summer, he cherished her even though he would never let on. The courtship was short and her father had refused Tommy's advances towards his daughters. Years earlier, Isabel's mother had died trying to give birth to her younger brother, something that her father never really got over. Now he was alone. And although Tommy knew she felt guilty leaving him, she knew it was for the best. The wedding took place in Stanbury and when the Rushworth family left, they took Isabel back to Howarth with them. That is wonderful. I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. Okay, so sure. number one, obviously, um, so then the households there were multi-generational, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, that's... So it was, it was a very small cottage and, it, and there was sort of like uh, probably about um, 10 people living there. And the other question that I had was, what, is Rushworth your mother's side is that your maternal heritage or paternal father's side that's your father's side and brown is your mother's side no uh actually brown is my father's side as well okay so it's rushworth brown from your dad yeah. so <laughs> that's... Rush, rushworth is actually my ancestral name very nice i like it yeah it's really cool well we need to take this moment here to hear break. from our sponsors <laughs> yes. and then we'll come back and uh, finish up so stand yeah. by don't go away folks people who like to read want to get their hands on books by becca jones becca jones the breakthrough author who tells it like it is it takes courage to tell a story when it reveals dark secrets Becca Jones delves deep into the hidden world of sexual abuse. She tells what happened and also tells how she survived. Meant to be is much more than just entertaining. Meant to be gives you a point of reference, hope to cling to, and becomes a guide for survival if you have suffered the same thing. Meant to be. Becca Jones. A must-have. Meant to Be is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and many other bookseller websites. First, there was Siren Song. Then Siren Song 2. Now comes The Siren Hunter, a continuing saga about Angie Holland and her never-ending battle with the mythological denizens 
that are not even supposed to exist. Is the siren hunter a conclusion to the undersea horror? Only the sirens know for sure. The Siren Hunter, now available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and many other bookseller websites. Or contact this podcast. The trilogy is complete. Madison Jackson loved being a cop. A young girl is raped and murdered near Burnett Reservoir. Madison vows to get justice for the child. Madison travels to the heart of Mexican cartel country. She is kidnapped, tortured. Will Madison ever make it home? Justice by Kelly Marshall, only at Amazon.com. And we're back again. Welcome back. (laughs) (laughs) So sorry about the dog interruption. There was either a delivery or she was barking at the storm. A storm has come in while we've been sitting here. (laughs) We didn't have a beautiful day when we started. (laughs) Uh It's blue skies here in Sydney. It's thundering and raining in Tampa Bay, Florida. <laughs> well, well, that you, was, go you'd ahead. Be in you'd be in winter now, wouldn't you? We're, we're in summer. Yeah. Well, yeah. we're in winter, but it's was 86 degrees out the last time. Oh, and I don't know what that is. Are you yeah, Celsius or Fahrenheit? In, Celsius. Yeah, You're I don't Celsius. know what that is yeah. in Celsius, but it's hot. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be yeah. sort of like 30 30 degrees Celsius. We, um, we're always hot here in Tampa because we're subtropical. So, you know, we have a hurricane season, but we a don't few, have uh, a cold season. Unless you've got quite a few followers down in uh, Florida. Oh, yeah. Where in Florida? Do you know? Um, no. No, I don't. Somewhere, <laughs> yeah. But they, uh, they, they um, contact me on uh, on Facebook quite often. Oh, good. That's good. Tell them about the show. They can they can tune in. They um, now usually on our show when our show is live, people can comment and ask questions. But uh, go ahead and comment on our indie book source. Uh, well, actually, it's Meet the Author podcast YouTube and. We'll make sure that we forward those questions to in those comments to Paul so that he knows. And that way he can can answer you. But it's good for them to be able to see your face and and learn a little bit more about you other than just what they read in your books. So yeah, story behind the stories. The story this, behind this, the stories, yeah. This ugly mug. <laughs> <laughs> so when does uh, Dream of Courage come out? Uh, it comes out in... Uh, it was going to come out in April, um, but they've decided to release it uh, just prior to Christmas in November. Oh, November. Way off. So okay. it's all right. Yeah, people have to wait a while to to get book number three. Yeah, and this is so exciting. I wanted, to, <laughs> I wanted to come out earlier. 
Yeah, yeah I don't blame you, you. I don't blame you there. It's a long wait. But 17, what is it now? What year does that take place? Um, yeah, it would be sort of like uh, the beginning of the 18th, 18th century. Okay. So All early right. 1700s. Early 1700s. And these yeah. are cousins of Tom that we just heard about. Yeah. 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 And what they I think do. It's, my, I, I, it's, I mean, it's so exciting. And you'll, You'll never see the ending coming. Okay. <laughs> Nothing like a good... I really like to have my brain teased and try and figure out things. And um, I'm always disappointed when I can. You know, yeah. like there's nothing worse than when you start reading a book or watching a movie and you already know who done it. You're like, yeah. that was easy. <laughs> And the, 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 the great thing, I, I think, you know, we were talking about planning and that before. The great thing about not planning is that you, is that you can sort of like once you once you finish the novel, you can sort of like swap and change things and put sort of like little twists and turns in there that um, people. Just want... Sorry, I, 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 you probably missed that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was saying that, that that's a great thing about not planning is the fact that you can sort of like put twists and turns in there that people won't see see coming. And I, I just love that. I just love that reading novels that um, that uh, that have twists and turns in it. And and you, you basically just think to yourself, well, I didn't see that coming. Where did that yeah. come from? Yeah. Right. I love that. I really do. So uh, on Red Winter Journey, does does your background that you have behind you today does that have anything to do with the book, or is that just... yeah? Because um, the uh, it, it takes place in the winter time, okay, in, in Yorkshire. So that would have been sort of like the uh, the um, that's what it would have looked like in Yorkshire okay. in, in winter. So I um, can't even imagine. No. And those you can see sort of like the uh, the dry stone walls. Um, so those. Um, in the feudal system, most of, most of uh, the the lands were sort of open, and people could sort of like there was a common green, and people could um, could uh, could could share them basically. But as time went on, um, lords of um, because uh, this was in the time of the development of the of the English wool industry, which was obviously a very uh, very um, a strong part of the English English economy at the time, and um, a lot of a lot of uh, the wool industry was was uh, carried out by people like in, like my family, um, and it was called um, the put out system. So they would sort of like have a few sheep, or they they would get sheep, and um, they'd get wool, and clothiers would drop it off to these families. The families would turn turn it into yarn, then turn it into cloth, and then basically sell it back to the clothier for a uh, for a sum, and that's basically how they made money. Oh, but interest, yeah. But interestingly, when the um, and it, this occurs in Red Winter Journey, when they started to um, put drywalls up and cordon off fields, um, the quality of the wool dropped. So um, 
that was so like one of one of the reasons why um, um, the English economy just did a nosedive, basically. Interesting. Time. They did better free range. Yeah. 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 So who owned the sheep? Um, usually what would happen is the Lord of the Manor, I mean, would own most of the sheep, right? But each family would, ha would have sort of like um, maybe 10 sheep on this on their small acreage yeah. they didn't own. And usually the poor people, um, um, they grew barley because they couldn't afford more expensive grains. So they, they grew barley. They'd usually have a couple of sheep and then they'd have sort of like a small vegetable garden. Um, they they usually weren't allowed to hunt on the on the Lord's um, in the Lord's forests, but yeah, uh, you know, they, they'd they'd um, they would uh, you know snare rabbits and that type of thing. Right, right. And I don't imagine they could eat their sheep, huh? Until they got really old. <laughs> yeah, too too expensive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these people these people were living on you know subsistence living. Yeah. When my family came over here, it was because of the great potato famine. Yeah. So that was really bad. They were all subsisting on grass. They would send yeah. the kids out to eat grass and yeah. send them down over the cliffs of moor to get Well, that's what muscles. we did with our kids. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> we have a lot of kids. <laughs> and when you, when, when you think about it, at that time um, – Obviously, there was no running water, so they, they might have to like travel, you know, a kilometer, two kilometers to get to bring back a bucket of water to to the cottage. Ugh. But then they couldn't drink. Then they couldn't drink it because usually um, it was so filthy from um, toilet waste and that type of thing. So what they do is that that's why they, they had to drink ale. They turn the water into ale. Wow, interesting. That so is you, interesting. So you had sort of like. A, you had sort of like uh, you know like six year old seven year old kids drinking ale. <laughs> yeah, well, wow. they had to to live, survive, right? Yeah. And not die of dysentery or something from. Well, that you know. that, that was a that was a real problem. I mean, sure. the uh, <clears throat> the life expectancy. Um, in uh, around half forty. Sorry, did you get that? No, no. just missed that. The life expectancy was yeah, the, life, the life expectancy in health around that time was about 35. Oh my goodness. Oh, wow. When and did probably, they start having children? Um well usually um between 17 and uh and 20. So you don't get to see your kids grow up. No. And there was a lot of there was a lot of consumption. Um, there's a lot of uh, yeah, obviously uh, whooping cough. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a lot of a lot of babies died before the age of six. Yeah, that's really mm. hard. And yeah. it's like the clean, the cleanliness. You know, there was no there was no toilets. So basically, you know, the the cows and the animals were living inside where they lived. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so yeah, it was a uh, it was a very um, uh, I suppose um, unhealthy environment that people lived in. And think about what we complain about. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> First world problems. The internet doesn't work properly. First there world problems there is right. Go. I don't like my bed. It's not comfortable. <laughs> you got a bed. <laughs> yeah. The gas price went up two cents. Hmm. Yeah. How yeah. sad. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah, so, yeah, it's very interesting. Very interesting. As I say, it was for me researching it. And, and I researched it using um, um, scientific databases, basically. Yeah. So it's 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 very very accurate, and yeah. um, when people when people read um, um, Red Winter Journey or Skullduggery, they think, "Oh my God, is that how people lived?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and like you said, we can all think, "All right, that's how my ancestors lived." Yeah. Because really, I can tell you, my family didn't come from royalty. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was it was interesting. Um, I <clears throat> I was in, interviewed um, by um, Beth Woolsdale over in the U.S. and uh, two other. What I did was I um, had two other to ask me questions. Sorry, you missed that, didn't you? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I did another interview and two people, two other readers that have read Red Winter Journey came on the show, right? And they were just amazed. People actually lived with their animals. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Yeah. That's crazy. No. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we live with our dog and she's very noisy. Yeah. But, but she doesn't do anything in the house that she's no. not supposed to do in the house. So. No. She is trained. Yeah. yeah so um <clears throat> i mean it was it was really um it was really I, I was really undecided um what to read out of the out of red winter journey obviously reading reading uh you know a couple of pages you really don't um get to fully so sort of like understand the story but there are sort of like quite a few bold hooks in there and um you you are kept intrigued from the beginning with the hooks. Excellent. So excellent. Uh, before we close, um, after Dream of Courage, do you have anything else on the drawing board yet? Yeah, I'm, I've actually started um, a a, uh, a book called um, the Ten Pound Palm. Sorry, okay. the Ten Pound the Ten Pound Tourist. Oh, okay. Right, so, okay. So I, you're probably not aware, but back in the, back in the fifties, um, a lot of English people, um, through that scheme that I was telling you about, came to Australia and they saw they were sort of like um, sent off to you know different parts of the outback, which is sort of like uh, out in the middle of sort of like uh, central Australia, where there's huge sort of like sheep stations and very little water, and you know you imagine um, you know a young man man like my father coming from from a place like yorkshire you know like in the background here and being sent out to sort of like central australia <clears throat> excuse me in the bush where it sort of like gets up to you know 40 degrees sometimes 40 yeah. degrees celsius so that would be sort of like yeah you know, over 100 um, yeah hot uh, really hot and flies 
flies. People don't realize the flies. I, I, I'm probably not not doing a good job of um, advertising <laughs> Australia as a, as a as a place to go on holiday. But um, Come to Australia. Well, I, I don't think anyone ever thinks, oh, I want to go to the outback in Australia. They, I mean, we have read about it here in the United States. <laughs> they want to go to the beach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's that really yeah, famous yeah. beach? What do they call it? Oh. Bondi Beach. Bondi, Bondi. yes, yeah. Bondi. Everybody yeah. wants to go there. That's where they want to go. They yeah. want to go to Bondi and they want to go to Sydney. Yeah. Swim with dolphins. Yeah. yeah, see the Opera House. That's what they want to do. Yeah, all, 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 up the, all up the coast is, and even in the out, outback is, is beautiful. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, oh, you've yeah. Got, uh, Uluru, um, you know, the Olgas. You've got some, um, some amazing, you know, um, so like scenery in that that, 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 yeah. that I don't think you can compare to it anywhere else in the world. Right. It's reminiscent of like Arizona and Utah here in yeah. the United States. Right. Yeah. It's red yeah. rock and it's yeah, desert yeah. and it's mountains. Arches and rocks. Arches. And piles and, of rocks. Yeah. And piles of rocks. Yeah. And uh, cactus. Yeah. So, so I, I, don't, I don't think I answered you, finished answering your question. Yeah. So this, uh, New novel. Um, oh yeah. Um, is 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 going to be about because I wanted to bring a little bit of Australiana into one of my novels, and so this this is this um, the ten pound tourist is going to be a, a story about a young man that spends three weeks on a boat coming from Yorkshire to Australia, and sort of like the um, the the uh, the adventure that he sort of like uh, goes through. Um, working and living out in the outback on a sheep farm basically and then once again there'll be sort of like uh, you know a bit of mystery a bit of romance uh, twists and turns you know a whodunit um all that type of thing in there cool well, well, that's something to look forward to, yeah right? and it'll be interesting to see what comes after that book your fifth book it'll be fun to see what you well, decide with inflation, to do it'll probably be the 20 pound tours <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i um I reckon I've got about 10 books in me. Good. Okay, cool. Good. So we have a lot to look forward to. Yes, we do. Yeah. Well, we want to thank you for joining us yes. uh, tonight and uh, look forward to all the good books ahead yeah. and look forward to actually reading your books. That would yeah. be awesome. And do you have anything else you want to ask? Or I want to say. I can't thank you. Oh, oh, you're welcome. It's our pleasure. Yes. Thank you for being on the show. And what I would like to say is if you read a book, please leave a review and tell yes. people what you liked about it, you know, so that they can say, oh, I, I like books like that, too. And they can read it. Right. right. That's it. <laughs> there you go. Okay. So, Paul, we're going to move you over to the side. Let's see. We're going to do this. You just stay right where you're at and we're going to close the show and just stay right there and we'll come back to you and then uh, we'll be off the air at that point backstage. But uh, what we want to do is to encourage everybody to join us next week for our episode 100 celebration um, and our two-year anniversary combined. Uh, all sorts of guests and giveaways. It's going to be fun. Um, that's swag. Next, next Wednesday. Be swag. Yes, and that will be on what's the date 15th i think march. yeah 15th march 15th so we're looking forward to it 
Yes. And stay tuned for the Voice of Indie podcast. Uh, the instructions on how to get there will be on here in just a second. So until next time. That's all, folks. Good night. Good night. Live every Wednesday, your Voice of Indie hosts, Beam Weeks and Stephen G's, welcome authors, musicians, publishing industry pros, artists, and assorted creative guests for an exciting interactive hour. Call in during the show or post questions and comments on Twitter for responses in real time. Meet your favorite indie creators, learn inside tips, network, and promote your work. The link for each week's show is pinned on Twitter atop at Voice of Indie. And you can receive the link every Wednesday morning in your inbox by subscribing to our newsletter at freshinkgroup.com. Check out Voice of Indie every Wednesday on Blog Talk Radio and catch hundreds of episodes archived everywhere from our websites to our YouTube channel and Spotify. Thank you. Thank you for joining us here on Meet the Author. Make sure you stay up to date with our show by clicking like, follow, and share. And you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and more. See you next time on WLFE-DV.com. You've been listening to WLFE-DV.com, where our shows are your shows. <laughs>